So let's unpack that a little bit. So guilt is the feeling that I have done something wrong. And that's really different than shame. So they're kind of in the same family. Shame is even deeper. Shame is I am bad or I am wrong. It's more about the person. Guilt is behavioral. Guilt is I've done something wrong. So when you think about the word mom guilt, it brings up that idea of like, okay, so you've done something wrong as a mom or something that you're doing isn't good enough as a mom. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. Today, we have the honor of speaking to Kate Borsato. Kate is a mental health therapist and educator. She focuses on pregnancy, postpartum, and early motherhood. Kate and I were connected through a mutual friend, and I've loved getting to know her and use her resources. The work that you're doing in this world is so, so important, Kate. We're so excited to dive into all of it. But first, we would love if you started by introducing yourself. Sure. Thank you. First of all, just thank you for having me here. It's an absolute honor to be in this space with both of you and to connect with this important stuff. I know we're both in this season together and I'm just happy to be here. So my name is Kate Borsato and I work as a mental health therapist. I specialize with supporting mothers in their transition into motherhood. So everything from um you know, conceiving, fertility, the whole pregnancy journey, going through birth, healing, recovering, postpartum, and then into motherhood as well. So figuring out how to incorporate being a mom into your identity. So that is my jam these days. That is what is lighting me up in my work as a therapist. Oh, and you can just tell you're such a bright light in this world and all the information that you're bringing on Instagram and just in the conversation that we've already had today, it's It shines really, really brightly. So thank you so much for that. I'd love to hear how and why you got started. So was motherhood an area that you always wanted to work with or is that something new to you? Yeah, well, to be really honest, it was never something that I set my heart out to be, right? I I never thought I'm going to be a perinatal mental health specialist. (laughs) I, I did feel like I wanted to be a helper of some kind when I was young. I remember going to family counseling. I'm the youngest of three daughters. And I remember just kind of looking around and I don't remember what we were even there for, but I remember looking at the therapist and feeling like I wanted to be like her. (laughs) So that was one of my first uh, memories of feeling like I wanted to pursue this profession. And then of course, you know, you go through life and um, you resonate with things more or less. And, you know, going through grad school, nothing was ever mentioned about perinatal mental health. Which, you know, as I say that out loud, it's kind of mind boggling. It was never um, a a path that was taught consciously in school. So that is, that's an issue. That's a separate conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so for me, I went through my whole training and education, not really thinking about this particular path. And then, of course, I became a mother. I very surprisingly struggled, um, which I can talk a little bit more about at some point here. But I was shocked with how hard it was. It wasn't anything like I had expected. And I felt like there was a huge gap in the support that was available. 
And so from that, as I started to move more into my career, I just felt myself drawn to women and mothers in particular. And, you know, it's, it's, it's neat now because my children are five and six. And so I can reflect back a little bit. And, um, you know, we, I think we pursue careers that are personally relevant for, for, for in many situations, not always, but sometimes. And I remember even being in grad school and my um, instructors saying, you know, it's not research, it's me search. It's, you, you know, you pursue things that have to do with you personally. And so this field is very um, important to me personally. And I, I really hope to create resources and offer support for women that I didn't have at the time. And that resonates because that's why we're here doing this podcast. It's a lot of these messages we need ourselves. And so finding experts like you to come on and share such important information is something that really means a lot to us. I wanted to get started by talking about something that Abby and I have both experienced to some degree, and that is postpartum anxiety. For me, even as someone that doesn't typically struggle with anxiousness, I definitely did after my first. I remember that feeling very well. Could you talk to us about how prevalent postpartum anxiety is? And for the women that are struggling with it, what are things that you recommend to your clients? Yes. Okay. So I think we maybe should start with talking about anxiety. Like what is anxiety? Would that be okay if I spoke on that. Please, yes, yes. I know for me, when I, when I first had my child, I was experiencing anxiety and I didn't even recognize it. And I am a trained therapist. So I feel like we use this word anxiety and it's so familiar. It's kind of fuzzy these days, but what are we actually talking about? What does it even mean? Um, so the way I describe anxiety is that it's this whole spectrum of um, nervousness. So it can range from nervousness, worrying, jitters, that feeling of just being uncomfortable and um, and, and yeah, scared. And it can range all the way into feeling completely um, debilitated in terms of what you're able to do. So it's on the spectrum of fear, discomfort, um, and worry. Okay. And so you can see how that actually shows up really normally. Everybody has some anxiety to, to a degree. So when we talk about postpartum anxiety, it's not like an entirely new experience. It's on that really familiar spectrum. It's just that when you're going through this postpartum phase, life is so stressful and there's so much on your plate that it becomes harder to cope. So then it almost like creates space to feel more anxiety. Okay. So how prevalent is it? Well, we know, you know, in the past, I would say pre-pandemic times, it was about 20%. So that's quite high, right? And and 20% would be clinical levels of anxiety. And so what that means is you know, anxiety that significantly gets in the way of how you want to live your life. So maybe you can't parent really the way that you want to, you can't work, maybe it's causing um, stress in your relationships, right? So again, everybody experiences anxiety, but the clinical level would be when it starts to interfere with your life. So pre-pandemic, it was about 20%. Now we're seeing studies that are closer to like 50, 60% of women postpartum experiencing anxiety. So that is huge. It gives me goosebumps just saying that. There is like a collective anxiety and a collective suffering happening right now. And my one of my best friends in the entire world was hospitalized twice for postpartum anxiety. So when you say these things, I'm wondering how much, how many more women it's happening to now than we even know. So those are those are a lot higher than I was thinking. But thank you for sharing that part of it. And and also just to know 
that if you are having these feelings, it is on a spectrum, but you're also not alone. Like there's a lot of women who are also going through this. Exactly. And I think when we recognize that you're not alone, it's not that that minimizes your pain, but it helps you realize that there's something um, collectively happening. Like this is a challenge of motherhood. It's not a personal challenge. This isn't something that you're doing wrong or that you're not capable of, right? So it removes a bit of that shame when you realize that actually so many women are, are experiencing this. One of the challenges with anxiety is that it often presents in a way that people don't recognize. So for example, you might be really capable or look like you have it all together or super organized or your house is perfect. And everyone's like, wow, you're really like, you're nailing it. And inside you're just in knots. And so people often miss it uh, because women can appear to be coping really well. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That makes perfect sense. Um, What do you say to clients, like what are some things that every woman could plug into her life? Because I think most of us have at least a little bit of anxiety if we're in these really busy years. When I talk about anxiety with my clients, I always start with explaining the framework of what's happening. So I bring it right down to a body level in terms of their nervous system. And this is really important in in terms of getting buy-in in, 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 um, in understanding what's going to help you. So when you think about your nervous system, and this will bring you right back to like high school science, <laughs> I'm going to go there for a second. Um, and I'm no scientist, so I'm going to put this in you know, very normal language. So when you feel overwhelmed and stressed, it activates your threat response in your nervous system. Okay. So that is that sympathetic response. That's like, we're in trouble. We're in danger. This is not okay. And so often when you're in those early stages of motherhood, very normal things like a crying baby, sleep deprivation, having all these demands, that triggers your nervous system and makes you feel like you're under threat, okay? And so that is synonymous with anxiety because anxiety tunes you into fear and anxiety makes you very hypervigilant and very aware of all the things that could go wrong, right? So if you think about that as the baseline, that's what's happening, you're overwhelmed, you're in stress response mode, We need to bring your whole nervous system down to a relaxed place. That is why you're always hearing things about self-care, meditation, blah, blah, blah. And I know for me, when I, when I started learning about that, I was like, oh, come on, I don't need more self-care. I just need to feel less anxious. And then once I learned about your nervous system, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I need to soothe my nervous system. So you asked me, you know, what, what do I, how do I help women through this? I always explain this and then help them think, How can they bring their nervous system down to that relaxed place? What are things that you can do that are soothing, that help you feel calm, ease, rest, slowing down your pace, stop rushing, right? It's like bringing all of that down and that literally soothes your nervous system so that you can bring anxiety down, okay? And it's going to look really different for everybody. Not everybody wants to meditate and that is fine. You do not have to do that in order to deal with anxiety. And I know when I talked about the overstimulation in our stories just a couple of weeks ago, you replied back and said, Abby, this is what you're going through. Like this is that nervous system pushing back. And I think it's because right now we just have so much going on. It happens in every season, but I know when I became a mom, I really started feeling it. So with our third babe, I'm exclusively pumping because he has Down syndrome. I have a lot more appointments and my mind can feel like it's always scrambled. And so many women 
talk about that all the time. So if it's not meditation, it could be exercise. Could it be just a plethora of things? Is there things that work better than others when you're thinking about that nervous system being on overdrive? Yeah. I mean, there, it, it's really an individual thing, but I would start with asking, what do you need for yourself in order to feel well? And so for you, it might be exercise. I think for, for most people, some sort of movement is very important. So whether that's like dancing, yoga, going for a walk, hitting the gym really hard, like whatever that is, moving your body is very well researched. So we know that that directly reduces anxiety. So absolutely. But we also have to be reasonable. And I know there were so many tips and, you know, pieces of advice given to me in the postpartum days. And it was like, I'm not, I don't, ha- I don't have the capacity to work out. I don't have the right, capacity right. To, to like be by myself. How are you going to be by yourself when you have a newborn and other children to take care of? It's unrealistic. So we have to not write off self-care completely. Like that doesn't work. We have to first remind ourselves that we are worthy of our own energy, our own time, and that we need it. Okay. That's like the number one piece. We can't just say, oh, well, this year I'm not taking care of myself. because I'm so <laughs> No, no. But the foundation really is, you know, how are you caring for all parts of yourself? So your physical self through movement, nutrition, sleep, avoiding things that we know make anxiety worse, like too much coffee and sugar, right? Um, getting Uh-oh. Some- Guilty as charged on that too much coffee and sugar right now. Okay. Good reminder. No, it's hard. I, it's really hard because it's so delicious. And honestly, those might be your only moments where you feel like something was for me today is when you had that sneaky chocolate bar and the coffee and you feel like that's your moment. Um, so yeah, this isn't about giving up all those things. You also get to experience joy, but just noticing them, right? Paying attention to them. Sleep. We know sleep is one of the, the, the most important factors in terms of mental wellness postpartum. Again, that can be one of the most annoying pieces of advice because as a mom, you might be thinking, well, how the heck am I supposed to get more sleep? But I just encourage you to challenge those automatic beliefs, such as I don't get to sleep this whole year or there's no way out and challenge that and think, okay, how could I give up a feed or have my partner support me? Or how could I create a little bit more rest for myself knowing how important it is? And I've been watching your personal story um, on Instagram and seeing that even with all of the knowledge in the world, like this is something that you have to plug into your own life as well with the pandemic, working at home with two little girls and a husband that's working at home. Um, What are some reminders that you have to give yourself to take some time for yourself. Cause I've seen you recently get your nose pierced, just go, um, go by the ocean by yourself. Um, it seems like you still even have a little struggle doing this. Mm, I do. And, and honestly, I, I was reflecting this morning. So one of my new practices is to, uh, wake up a bit earlier than my children and to write and reflect and just get connected to where I'm at that day. Um, and that in itself is, a practice of creating space for me. And when we do that, no matter how that looks, Amy, I've seen you carving, you know, concrete time for yourself and moving your body and exercising. And it doesn't have to be long, right? But it's giving yourself something. So starting with what's reasonable, like Abby, right now in the season that you're in, it literally might be five minutes in your, in your room with your headphones on so that you can't hear Owen crying or fussing, right? So that you can totally be with yourself 
And I think that is so critical. And five, you know, five years postpartum for myself, this is still a challenge. And what I've realized is you don't master this. You don't just get it. You don't just become really good at self-care and now it's easy. I think that as mothers, there's this constant pull to give more and more and more. And it's really endless. Children will take as much as they can and let's it up. Like that's not bad, but they want more and more and more and more. And I don't know, my husband might be like that too. <laughs> he, you know, he, he would love more and more attention work. We all know we could give more and more into work. My home could use some TLC, like everything. There is so much to do and nobody's going to draw that line for us. And I think for me, I've, I know in the past I have hoped that somebody else would draw that line for me and say, you know, well done, Kate, pat me on the back and say, now it's time for you to go and take a break, but nobody is going to do that. And so the sooner as mothers, the sooner we come to that conclusion ourselves and get serious about creating that space for ourselves, the better off we're going to be in general. When there's such funny memes right now that I keep on getting of like super sexy men being like, babe, you go take a bath. I'll wash the bottle parts. I'm like, that couldn't be more true right now thinking of, hey, that would be really, really nice in this season. One thing that you speak so well on, it's not a popular topic, but it's a really important topic is the intrusive or scary thoughts that we can have as mothers. So does that play into postpartum anxiety? Is that part of it? Or is it something entirely different? It absolutely plays into this. And, you know, it's interesting that you say it's not popular because on the outside, I don't think it's not popular, you know, in a loud way. People don't talk about it. It's not maybe super trendy. It's a little bit uncomfortable because it's crossing into scary, disturbing, shameful territory. But what's really interesting is every time I put out any piece of content around intrusive thoughts, Women, mothers come out from everywhere just needing support. They need to know that they're not alone. And so this is an area that I want to talk more and more about. So intrusive thoughts, essentially these are thoughts that just burst into your mind. They they could be word thoughts, so like literally you're, you're hearing words. It could also be an image or a movie scene. So we don't always think in words, right? Sometimes you have like a flash of an image in your mind. That's also an intrusive thought. So intrusive thoughts, everybody has these. So, you know, you might even think of like driving down the road and you think, what if I just went like this and swerved my car into oncoming traffic? It's a weird thought. People don't want to talk about that. But I bet you if you told somebody today that you had that thought, they would say, oh my gosh, I've had that thought too. It's so weird, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) But it's not weird. It's very normal. So again, it's it's like anxiety in that everybody kind of knows what this feels like, but it can get really ramped up when we are under a lot of stress and pressure and feeling overwhelmed. So in postpartum, it's it's even more common. So many, many moms have very disturbing thoughts that enter their mind. They don't choose these thoughts. They don't want to have them. And usually these thoughts actually don't mean anything about them in terms of safety or the things that they want to do. They are totally unprompted thoughts that are anxiety driven. And so that's what I always tell moms is this is a product of anxiety, right? This is about worrying about the worst case scenario. This isn't coming from you because you're bad or or a danger to your child. This is coming from that anxious part of your brain that is just stressed about anything that could possibly go wrong. What are examples of intrusive thoughts that moms share with you? Just so people kind of know what more what we're talking about. 
Yeah. So I usually explain there's four main categories and they kind of ramp up in terms of how intense and disturbing they can be. So the first category is around sickness and contamination, which you can imagine is really big in terms of, you know, so basically this could be a thought, you know, an image of your child's um, contracting COVID-19. So, you know, any, maybe you even had this last week. I know that you were concerned about Um, your child and going through testing. And so this isn't a thought that you purposely conjure up. It's just a flash. What would happen if? So that's kind of the first level. Next level is accidents or injuries happening to your child. So maybe you imagine them um, riding their bike into traffic or, you know, even just tripping or falling, falling over balconies, things like that. And I know this might sound scary, but for me, it's really important to say it, to put words to it, because I know whenever I do, moms feel relieved. Okay, so I know this content can be surprising, but it's so important to just say. So the next, the third category, this is around harm that is purposeful. Okay, so sometimes moms will say things like, you know, I'm holding my baby at the top of the stairs and I just have this vision of throwing them. Or I get so angry and I imagine myself just smothering them, right? So you can imagine the shame and the pain that these thoughts bring up. So that, that category is really difficult because it's purposeful, intentional harm. And then the fourth most difficult category that intrusive thoughts show up is around sexual acts. So sometimes it can be about other people. So women would have thoughts just disturbing about, you know, coworkers or family members engaging in sexual acts that, again, they didn't choose these thoughts. Sometimes they're about their children. So moms might have worries or thoughts about inappropriately touching their own child. Um, sexually molesting them. And so again, you can imagine how difficult these are to sit with. So I know that women are often thinking, and your listeners might be wondering, well, how do you know when this is actually dangerous, right? How do you know when this is something that um, could be an actual risk to my child or to somebody else? So the one question I always ask is, when you imagine that thought actually happening, does that bring you relief? Does that bring you joy? Is that something that you actually want to happen? So in other words, is that thought in alignment with your hopes, with your intentions? Usually the answer is a hard no. It's awful. And that's why those thoughts are so painful is because they are so far from what the mom would ever want. And in that case, that's just anxiety driven. That's just a thought. It has nothing to do with that mother being at risk of harming her child. Sometimes it is very, very rare those thoughts are in alignment. So if the mother says, yeah, I actually do want that thing to happen, that's a very different situation. That's a medical emergency and she needs to call 911 right away. That could be a sign of postpartum psychosis. But that happens about 0.01% of the time. Like it's very rare. So for the most part, if these thoughts are disturbing and upsetting, they're just about anxiety. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that important information with us. I did want to get into actually the first category that you spoke of. I've had a lot of my followers keep asking me, how do you not freak out? Because it is cold season, it is flu season, a lot of these moms are feeling every time their child sneezes or coughs, their anxiety this year in this time is so high. Like you were talking about last week, we actually had to get Cole tested for COVID and he was negative. And for me, if I'm being really honest, more worried 
than I was about the test being positive. I was really worried to be quarantined with my family for two weeks because Mm -hmm. Drew and I have just felt so like we're parenting so hard right now. (laughs) Like we feel overwhelmed. Um, So I just wanted to get into this a little bit. First, is there anything you can recommend for those moms that are feeling really heightened anxiety around the sniffles and the sneezes? Yeah, I mean, first, I just have so much compassion for moms because this is a reality that we are going to face. Like kids are going to get sick. All of our kids are going to get sick this year. You know, it might be COVID and it might not be, but that's, it's, it's tricky because I think what we want is to feel 100% safe, 100% confident. We're looking for that black and white concrete answer of what do I do to avoid them getting sick? But what we're actually looking at is an unavoidable situation, right? I don't know any child who's gone through an entire year without getting something, right? Right. I don't know in your experience. So part of me, you know, really feels like we need to have compassion for ourselves when our children get sick, right? So to, to look at that fact that it's, it's probably going to happen, we cannot avoid this completely, right? And Amy, for you, you were saying how it sounds like you leapt forward a little bit and you're thinking of like, how are we going to manage this? What are we going to do? How are we going to, how's our family going to get through this? So my first thought is, you know, we need, we need to catch ourselves worrying about a scenario that hasn't happened yet. So that was my, that would be my tip number one. So that's getting into like a little bit of that fortune telling or projecting forward. And I know you're a planner. I know your family has a lot going on. And so a, a certain degree of that planning is, is fine. However, when you don't have the, you know, information yet to actually make a concrete plan around, there's no resolving it. So then you find yourself just continuing to talk and worry and try to solve a problem that you don't know that you're facing yet. So that would be my first piece is to just try to pause, recognize that worry and remind yourself, I don't know, you know, I don't, we don't have the answer yet. Let's just be in this moment. Also remind yourself of all the things that you have overcome. Like, look at this year, look at what we have all gone through. And so, you know, has there been a problem yet that you haven't been able to manage? I don't think so, because here we all are, right? And so reminding ourselves of that, of like, you know, that that wouldn't be ideal, but I know we can get through it because we've got through everything so far. So it's not ideal, but we will be okay. You will be able to get through it. So reminding yourself of that. I think in terms of, you know, sickness in general right now, as, as moms, as parents, we need to be clear about what our boundaries are. So I know for myself, we live in a cul-de-sac. Our kids are always out there playing. There's lots of other kids and everybody has a different sense of what they're comfortable with. But for me, I need to be clear about my boundaries and then be willing to speak them, be brave enough and to assert them so that if somebody gets sick, I don't beat myself up later about that, right? Because that's what we don't want is that mom guilt. We need to just decide what we're comfortable doing, you know, stick with our plan so that then we can give ourselves compassion later on if something goes wrong or goes off. I really, that spoke to me last week when we were going through our process. I was just like, Amy, you can't do anything about what this test says. We're just going to take it one day at a time and that's how we're going to do it. And I did feel much better once I kind of slowed myself down. Um, and every situation looks so different. Our kids are going to daycare. I get a lot of questions about that too. 
people will be like, how can you let your kids go to daycare? Um, I don't feel defensive about it. I just feel like this is in alignment with Drew and I's situation, our work situation. This is this feels good for our kids. We do understand there is some risk to our situation. I don't know if you could give any coaching because it feels like a lot of women right now are kind of judging each other's COVID policies and it can get really hard for, for some. I feel that too. I, I'm in that boat as well. And then I, I think what the challenge is, you know, and for me, I can think forward, what if one of my children come home testing positive, right? How am I going to feel? And how are we not going to then regret or look back and judge ourselves for the decisions that we made? And this is kind of what I mean about that grayness is that we're, what we're looking for is concrete answers. We're looking for somebody telling us that we're doing the right thing, but that is, this is almost just like a, a, a little metaphor of life and that nothing is concrete and there's nothing about life that is reflecting to us that we're making the right decision. Every single decision has a possible cost to it. If you didn't send your children to daycare, how would that work for your family? If I didn't send my children to school right now, how does that work for me? There's a cost to that. So I'm choosing to send them and then to take on that risk. And I think just reminding ourselves of that, that this was a choice that we made for our family. This was the best choice for us. Other people make their own choices and that's okay for them. There is no one right way here. Everybody's situations are incredibly complex and we can't, we can't kill to think that we even understand their situations. So I think maybe practicing having compassion for others in their decisions, even if they're very different than ours, right? And then also reminding ourselves that we made the best decision we could with the information we had at the time. Next year, we might look back and wish we made a different decision, but that's part of being human and part of life, I think. Yeah, that made a lot of sense to me. And Mm -hmm. our decision in our family is between Drew and I, and then we feel comfortable. We talk through a ton of different scenarios. All of these questions I'm getting from other people, I'm like, I feel like they want me to have their answer. So they're kind of off the hook. They're like, well, this is a nurse. She's a mom of three. Let me just take her answer and plug it in. And I'm like, I'm not influencing this part of your life. Like this is whatever you got. You guys have the same information. You have to make your own decisions. To the last part about this particular subject is I did want to get into the real strain that is occurring for families right now. Um, you know, some people are in the position where there's two working parents or even one working parent, but everyone is under the same roof right now. Some people are having to facilitate learning, distance learning for their children inside their house. Um it feels like women especially have a lot on their backs right now. Is there anything that you could give us to coach us through kind of the emotional and stress management that comes with these unexpected roles? Hmm. Well, the word coming to my mind right now is expectations. And, you know, when you think of all of the hats that, you are wearing that we as women as mothers are wearing it's a lot like it is a lot and it's way more than normal and so if we are holding ourselves to the highest standards and expectations for each of those different roles it's not possible it's unrealistic 
And so what I notice happens is that when we're not mindful of that, we just operate in this hustle mode and we try to be the best at all of these different parts of ourselves. And that, that, that's the default, right? Like that's what we're taught culturally to just hustle and be the best and nail everything and, you know, don't slow down. Heaven forbid, don't be good at something, right? And, and so if we apply that way of being to this time in life, we're setting ourselves up to be really disappointed in ourselves. So something that has been coming up for me lately is around, you know, accepting lower standards sometimes. And I think sometimes there's seasons of life where we get to just push and hustle and succeed and learn and grow and, and move forward. And then I think there's other seasons of life where we just hang on for dear life and we get through it. And to me, that's not like giving up. That's just hanging in there. And so I know for me personally, I don't know if this is my time to like, to, to just thrive as a, as an entrepreneur. Um, yes, I want to grow, but I'm also being realistic with my expectations. I'm being realistic with what I expect of my home and, and what I'm going to create in my home. Um, you know, somebody offered me the word mediocre. Like, is it okay to have a mediocre dinner? <laughs> is it okay to have a mediocre garden? And I was like, yes, I kind of like that word. So what I would offer is to notice your expectations of yourself and ask yourself, is there anywhere where I could lower that bar just temporarily? It doesn't have to be forever. It doesn't mean that you're giving up your standards, but it's about hanging in there a little bit. And how are you going to do that? Something's got to give. Is it okay if you threw your laundry on the floor one more day? Right? Is it okay if you microwaved dinner tonight? Right? Is it okay if you made PB&J again for your child? I think it is. And I'm not going to judge myself for that. So I invite moms to let themselves off the hook a little bit. It's about setting priorities in this season. So everyone's priorities might look different where Colin, my husband, would love to have a really great dinner on the table every single night. Um, I might prioritize getting a little bit of self-care in. So for us, it might look a little bit different and he'll have a happy wife because I got my self-care in where he will have a great dinner because he didn't make that PB&J that I would have definitely made three days in a row. So there's so much we want to cover with you, but let's switch gears a little bit and start talking about that self-compassion instead of that harsh criticism that we really have in motherhood. In your professional role, why do you think this is so important for women to master? Well, first of all, I'll say, and this connects to what we were talking about earlier, is the sense of mastering any of this. I think I, I love that. I wish I could, but I also think this is a constant work in progress. So something like self-compassion is, some, is, a, is a skill that we need to learn and then practice every single day. And I have a feeling I will be practicing this for all of my days because the, the problem is we have endless opportunities to criticize ourselves. And this isn't our fault as individuals. We grow up since we were little girls and we learn what we are supposed to be. And I say that with quotations because there's these rules and expectations and ideas of what a good mom is, what a you know partner is supposed to be, um, what a successful woman is. I mean, I know there's different ideas of that now, but it's still, it's still quite limiting, right? So whether we believe those cognitively or not, we've been exposed to these expectations forever. So we have endless opportunities to feel like we are not good enough, right? We lost our patience that day. Our house is kind of messy. We're not making as much money as we wish we could. 
our clothes suck, our body sucks, right? Like we might not agree with that, but that's the message that those are the messages that we hear all the time. So this connects to this idea of the nervous system that we were talking about earlier. When we criticize ourselves, it actually stimulates your threat response. And to me, this like, this gives me goosebumps too, because I had no idea. I I thought all this self-love, self-compassion stuff was kind of woo-woo and, you know, not that, you know, grounded in research. But the more I dig into it, it is grounded in research. We know that when we are harsh with ourselves, when we call ourselves names, when we judge ourselves, it puts us in threat response. That is going to make anxiety worse. That's going to make you have a really hard time getting through the day when you're judging yourself. So that shows up in a pretty meaningful way. So the reason why I'm always talking about self-compassion is because that is like the antidote. When you are compassionate with yourself, you actually create a relaxation response in your nervous system. So when we think about postpartum anxiety, something that women can do to help with this is to practice words of um, compassion. And that doesn't have to mean you have to love everything about yourself, but it's giving yourself understanding It's saying something like, wow, I'm having a really hard time today. I'm having a hard time um, being my best self or I'm having a hard time being patient. Wow, what's going on? I must be really overwhelmed. And so even just that tone of being curious about what's going on with you, being kind, you don't have to say, I love that I lost my temper or I love myself when I'm acting this way toward my husband or wife, right? You don't have to love it all, but just be curious and kind to yourself, just like you would to your children, right? It's so easy for us to be compassionate to our kids and to be curious about what's happening for them. But when it comes to ourselves, we're very quick to judge. But what I want women to know is that that actually hurts you. It hurts you. It raises anxiety. It doesn't help you be the person you want to be when you're hard on yourself. Mm. This is an important conversation for women. I think it's so interesting because I don't, this isn't a big struggle for me. Um, but I, I think back and I'm like, my mom is really pretty kind to herself, mm. you know? And so I don't think I grew up with the example of, you know, having to judge ourselves for every single thing, or she was very kind about her own body. Um mm. So I feel really fortunate in that sense because I think a lot of that rubbed off on me um, it, because it's it's this. My friend, I was at a, um, a, a gathering with her and she was telling us about how her son had scratched his own face and she attached the phrase, I feel like I'm the worst mother ever. And even I didn't have kids at the time, but in my head, I was like, that seems really harsh for a kid accidentally scratching their face because you forgot to trim their nails. Um, those harsh feelings we have towards ourselves, it all kind of goes hand in hand with the mom guilt and judgment of ourselves. You know, that I know there's judgment of others, but I think a lot of it comes back on how hard we are to ourselves. Is this something that you can talk us through and give us ideas on how to kind of change that narrative? Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, when you say the word mom guilt, I feel like there's this collective understanding of what that feeling is. Somehow we all just know, right, that that we, we know what that feels like, that we didn't do something right, or we're not good enough. So let's unpack that a little bit. So guilt is the feeling that I have done something wrong. And that's really different than shame. 
So they're kind of in the same family. Shame is even deeper. Shame is I am bad or I am wrong. It's more about the person. Guilt is behavioral. Guilt is I've done something wrong. So when you think about the word mom guilt, it brings up that idea of like, okay, so you've done something wrong as a mom or something that you're doing isn't good enough as a mom. So when I think about your friend and that sense of guilt that she might have had when she, you know, sees the scratch on her child's face, mom guilt would tell her, I didn't protect my child or I did something wrong. And that's why my child has that scratch. So it's taking on guilt for something that might really not have been her fault or something that is very normal and a normal part of childhood. Right. So my first thought here is when you feel mom guilt, we need to check our expectations, right? What are you, what standard or what expectation are you holding yourself to? So in that example, is your friend expecting that she's going to prevent her child from ever getting injured? Is she taking responsibility for all of his, his or her pain? That might be the knee-jerk reaction. But once we start to become aware of our knee-jerk reactions and where those come from, then we can challenge them. So she might have that pang of guilt, just like I do. Honestly, my children have had some pretty major accidents, to be honest. Um, one time, my one child fell off a chair and split her forehead right open and she has a big huge scar on her forehead and I honestly look at her sometimes and I feel a pang of guilt of like I can't believe now that you have to live your life with a huge scar on your forehead it breaks my heart and so the, the the automatic feeling is guilt like I didn't do something right but then I bring in my wise self and and can and can remind myself that I didn't actually do anything wrong I didn't cause that that is a sad experience and a painful experience, but it's not my fault. So it, part of this is unhooking from this expectation that we are going to protect our child from everything or show up perfectly, quote unquote, all the time. It's unrealistic. I also encourage all moms to think about this and even journal about it, write it down. What does it mean to be a good mom? Like, What does that actually mean in real life? Like, How do you show up each day if you are a good mom? Because what happens is society gives us like a billion criteria <laughs> to be a good mom. Most like half of them contradict each other. And we know that, right? A good mom sends her kids to daycare to get socialized, but a good mom also stays at home with their kids for five years. Like they don't make sense. So our job as women, as mothers is to figure out which criteria do we actually believe in? Write them down. You know, that's like write down five five criteria. What are my standards of being a good mom and measure yourself to those every single day so that when you have these feelings of mom guilt, you can check them against your own criteria that you choose to live by. So for me, I often feel guilty when I'm not with my kids. They, they cry when I work. Yesterday, my youngest said to me, mommy, you always, you always have to work. Like you're just going to go down and have a phone call. And I don't want to have a job like yours when I grow up because I don't want to have to do that. And she, it breaks my heart. I feel the knee jerk again is guilt. I feel sad about that. But then I asked myself, like, what, what do I actually care about as a mother? I want to have my own identity. I want to model to my daughters that I can work too and earn money too, right? There's a, there's a, lot, a lot of other reasons, but it's, it's about comparing and checking that mom guilt against your own standards. So that's something that I highly encourage all moms to do. I am going to do that today. <laughs> I'm a, such a journaler. So giving that exact <laughs> framework of what to do to help with this mom guilt, I'm Kate, I'm going to do that right now. When you brought up the story about your daughter splitting her head open, 
when Lucy was 20 months old, I was eight months pregnant with our second child, same thing happened. And when you were bringing up that story, it it goes into my mind all the time. When I see that scar on my daughter's lip, it happened on her lip. I don't even know what happened. I was putting away groceries. The dog was barking. She was standing on the counter or trying to get up somewhere. And then all of a sudden she had a huge lip split open. And the mom guilt, the feeling of that, and the feeling of not being a good mom in that moment, I see it on her lip every time I look at her. So I think that by going through that exercise, I think it'll help with some of just the anxiety that I have surrounding that scar and that experience. Okay. So Abby, with that example that you're talking about, I think if, if you other moms, myself, if you're able to identify a concrete example that triggers that mom guilt, like you have looking at her scar, like me, when I look at my daughter's face, it brings up that same guilt. You can actually create a statement of compassion, of understanding toward yourself and practice it. And eventually it will become your automatic statement for yourself. Okay, because most of us have certain areas that the guilt will pop up in. It's not like it's all over the place. It's usually a few different themes. So after you do your journaling about, you know, what does it mean to be a good mom? I would encourage you to reflect on that. Of Like, what do you want to say to yourself as a compassionate, self-supportive statement when you see her lip and you feel that guilt? It's just a simple statement, right? Like, I am doing my best or that is not my fault or I'm so sorry she has that scar but that's life and, um, and, and I'm good enough or something like that, right? Make sure it resonates with you. But when you do that, you, you create a new thought pattern for yourself. So instead of continuing down the guilt pattern, you're creating a new self-supportive pattern that's much more balanced. Kate, thank you. Yes, that self-supportive pattern, perfect, perfect way of putting it. And let's wrap up with two things. So Kate, what is a book that you wish every mom would read? And then number two, what's a reminder that you think all moms need? The book that I always recommend to moms is called Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. This is from Kristen Neff. She's a researcher. And so it's, you know, it's it's not like the super lighthearted self-help book that is often, you know, talked about these days. It has a little bit of storytelling and it's lovely, but it really gets into the research of why we need to be kind to ourselves and what we're going to get out of that. So I definitely recommend that. Um, And then a reminder that I think mamas need, I want you to know that you are worthy of receiving your own energy and resources you are worthy of that. And that is going to be your foundation of mental wellness. Oh, I love that. And I love hearing you talk. I feel like the therapists that we've had on have such nice voices. I'm like, you guys found the right profession to be in. It's been such an honor, Kate. Um, I know that these important messages are going to resonate so well with our audience. So please let them know where they could find more of you they can come say hi to me on Instagram. I show up on my stories every day and I really try to show an honest, realistic take on motherhood and mental wellness. So come over there and say hi to me at Kate Borsato. You could also visit me on my website, kateborsato.com. And I share a lot of free resources and trainings and things that I think the moms in your community would love. Yes, you do. Thank you so much, Kate. And if you enjoyed this episode, please, please share it in your story and take Kate Bersato, as well as herself podcast. So until next week, friends, thank you so much for listening.